ever be able to go straight, you know? Oh, no, 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 that's a serious question. What do you mean, Mr. Shepard? I live a life that is totally blameless, and Charles and I... For years, I've just wondered how you get away saying those terrible things on that wonderful station that brings us John Gambler. All those nice things. Don't worry, there ain't nobody listening. Once in a while, I look at terrible football teams. You know, generally these channels on Saturday afternoons, they'll have... Uh, about 5,000 different football games. You know, I, I watch these games not to see the game, but to see the halftime ceremonies. Because I think the halftime ceremonies are one of the most uh, truly American folk rituals that we've got. You are listening to one of the all-time great B-flat, double B-flat sousaphone players to ever come out of the state of Indiana. I still know the part. And, and uh, now, now don't, don't, don't put it down. You reset that. The double B flat sousaphone is one of the most difficult instruments to master. Many, many are called, but few friends are chosen. It's one of the most difficult instruments to master for a number of reasons. Now, you see a sousaphone to begin with. Uh, most people call that a bass horn. It's not a bass horn. Uh, a, it's not a tuba. Uh, you hear people refer to it as a tuba, but a sousaphone is a sousaphone. And by the way, it was, it was created by John Philip Sousa. And uh, that's why it's called a sousaphone, of course. And the reason that it was called, why he invented this, was because he wanted to have, uh, in a marching band, uh, when he was creating this whole... Because the whole concept of the marching band really does stem back to Sousa. And when he wanted to, uh, to build a, a, a great marching band, he wanted a great marching band, which was the Army Band, the, the U.S. Army Marching Band, uh, he wanted a horn like the tuba, but that could be carried. And so uh, they worked around and they finally designed the sousaphone, which, as you know, is the horn that is carried on the shoulder, the great, uh, with the big bell over the top. And a really good sousaphone player, uh, is the backbone, generally, of a good marching band. That's what makes it sound good. Uh, and if you get a if you get a couple of good guys in the front, up front, you get a good good uh, drum section, and a good sousaphone section. Man, you've got yourself a marching band, and they go cracking into it. But I remember, I remember Schwartz. See, Schwartz was also a tuba player, and the, he made the switch to sousaphone. Uh, he was a little bit too little. You see, the the point is to 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 play. Uh, a good sousaphone, you got to be 
you know, you got to be big. Because when you're wrestling with a sousaphone man, when that wind is blowing hard out of the north, and you're trying to play Semper Fidelis, and the wind is blowing in it through, you know, the sousaphone is the only instrument that plays back. It'll actually play you. I mean, you're not careful. That horn will start blowing you, and the next thing you know, high, thin notes are coming out of your ears. <laughs> but uh, I, this, this, uh, on this particular day, you know, we'd been working because we were heading for the state championship. Now, we have, you know, how they have uh, state marching band contests and championships and all that stuff. Now, there were two parts of the marching band. One part, of course, was playing. Uh, what good is a band, you know, if it can march like Billy B. Dam, but, uh, you know, <laughs> plays out of left field somewhere. On the other hand, there are a lot of bands that can play great but can't march well. So th- we started to rehearse usually about or like uh, June, something like that, right after school was out. Rehearsing every couple of days, we'd rehearse out in the hot sun uh, for the big for the big fall season, and so on. And once in a while, the band would get an invitation from someplace, you know, to go play and these things. And so, you, when when you made the marching band, after after having been in the concert band and the orchestra and so on, it was like suddenly getting tapped on the shoulder that you are, you know, you're you're really you're really the big time because you had to be able to play and march. And since this was a band that had won a lot of national awards and honors. You had to play well. Well, every <laughs> every night, me and Schwartz and Snuffy Smith and a guy named Hermie Roller, uh, we were the three ace guys in the sousaphone section. We would practice in the band room. Now, you don't just sit down and blow a sousaphone. No, no, you got to warm the sousaphone up. Did you know that? And furthermore, you got to warm your lip up because, man, if you don't do that, whoo... I mean, it's like it's like going out and throwing a fastball in a ball game without warming up. You can kill your lip for life. And so we'd sit down and go, and you blow the thing out, get a little, you know, open up a spit valve, and you take your. Uh, I used to carry my my uh, my own uh, mouthpiece. You see, we each, we each had our own mouthpieces and so on. And I used to carry my German silver mouthpiece around in my pocket all the time. And I would carry it there so I would always have it warm. If you ever blow into a cold mouthpiece, friend, that's uh, bad news. And so I'd carry this mouthpiece around in my pocket to keep it warm. And once in a while, when I was sitting in the, you know, a regular class, like I'm sitting in the, oh, uh, oh, geometry or something like that, I have this mouthpiece and I'm just holding it up in my, my fist, see, and I'm playing different, different uh, numbers. Uh, I'm running over in my mind different things we played. And you can actually blow a horn, you know, without the horn present. You blow it in your own mind. And you, so you take this mouth. You're blowing away there. And I'm, I'm thinking of the fingering and I'm blowing the notes. And I'm playing everything. And I'm playing El Capitan, the NC4 March. I'm playing On the Mall. I'm playing uh, Semper Fidelis. I'm playing all of them. See, El Capitan. Uh, El Capitan was a very important march for this particular band that I was in, because El Capitan was always the march that we used to make our entrance with. And this was the opening number, our, our, our uh, what they call a fanfare number. And we used to come out with all the brass would come marching forward, see. And we were, were marching in place. Have you heard the band doing this? And the, and the drummers are just yeah, using muffled sticks, see, so that they don't hear it all over the all over the stadium, and the, the, the sticks... 
marching in place. And then the, the, uh, the trumpets and the brass, the trombones, would, would all go out in a big fan out on the goal line. And then there would be a moment of silence. And then we had, of course, Stinky Davis. Now, a lot of people don't know the function of a drum major, which is different from a majorette. Now, a majorette, in most cases, is merely a twirler. Uh, she also represents a kind of sexual symbol. This is the majorette. But in a crack marching band, a military marching band, there is no such thing as a majorette. This is a drum major. He is the officer in charge. That's really what the major means. He is the officer in charge of this marching band. We would move into this close formation. Like suddenly it's a blot of, if you can imagine, a blot of ink coming together instead of going out. We go zap. We'd go close together. Right through the goal post we would go. Now that's El Capitan, the captain. Move straight on out to about the 40-yard line. At just about the beat that they're playing it right now. And then as we hit the 40-yard line, we would begin two long, thin lines that would move out towards each of the sidelines. The band would split in a great big Y. down the middle of the field, the eight sousaphones would go straight down the middle of the field playing this part. Listen. Come on, bring it up. Come on, Ed. All right. Oh, hold it, hold it, hold it. What in the devil are you? Hold it. What are you doing in there? Good Lord. <laughs> Holy smokes, we will be undone by knaves before it's all over. Let's try it again. Got it in there? Okay. And we would march down. Come on, let's go, Ed. Come on, don't just sit on your top. Bring it up. That's it. There we go. And we would split. By the way, that was Ed. Don't blame Herb for that one, gang. Go ahead. And we would split two great big... Hear that part? And by that time, of course, now you reset it. By that time, the crowd is flippant because this band, this particular band, was one of the absolutely best military marching bands in the entire Midwest. Well, one night, old Shep, you know, we, we, I knew every, everything that we did by heart. I mean, I knew every move. I knew every, every note, every fingering. At the, one day, we're out rehearsal scene. Stinky would, would, would rehearse us, first of all, by sections. And uh, while, uh, let's say, the uh, reed and the clarinet sections, or maybe, let's say, the uh, trombone section is out there working away, we would be working over on the other sideline working with what we're doing, the sousaphone section. And uh, then, uh, after about 15 minutes or maybe 20 minutes of section work, he would bring the band together. And we had this guy who was the teacher, really. He was uh, the top uh, marching band director, at least in that area. 
and in fact wrote two textbooks on it, in case you're curious. Yeah, it's still used. I remember uh, his name was Wilson. Mr. Wilson, we get up and he'd say, all right, now, I want all of you, he said, I want, to, I want you to work on number four in a book. And we had our own band book. He says, on the mall, and I want to hear crisp section work. I don't want to hear any, I don't want to hear any, uh, any of these drag notes. I want to hear anybody uh, faking it either. I want crisp section work. And if you come to a section you don't know, don't fake it. I don't want to hear any faking. Then, that, that, the, the terrible day, though, we, we would finish musical rehearsal, which was great. I mean, I always dug the musical side of it. But then, Stinky Davis would take over. And Davis would line us all up down, way down at the south end of the field. And Davis would start lecturing us. All right, now listen, you guys. You know what happened last week at the George Rogers-Clark game. I don't have to tell you. Now listen. I want to see a lot of knees moving. Together. I don't want to see any guts hanging out. Pull in your guts, Schwartz. When I blow the whistle, I want action. There was a kind of tension all the time when Stinky was out in front. First of all, he had an ego that made the Empire State Building look like a teepee. His ego started at about 20 feet above the ground and worked up. Unbelievable ego. And that's what it took. And then came that day. It was a Thursday, like any other Thursday, except that it was hotter than blazes. And I am walking towards the practice field. I got my jacket hung over my neck, sweating. I'm carrying my sousaphone at rest. You carry your sousaphone on your other shoulder when it's rested. And I'm dragging off towards the field. And I see the band is sort of half-assembled there. It's about three or four minutes before we were supposed to begin rehearsing. It's Thursday. We got a big show that we're going to do Friday night. But I know everything. It's ridiculous. I know the whole thing. We've been rehearsing this stuff every night for a week. I know every last step. And I see Schwartz, the perennial beaver, who never chickened out on anything. Schwartz is about 20 feet ahead of me, lugging his sousaphone. And behind me is Snuffy Smith. A bad marcher. He wasn't much of a marcher, but one of the best sousaphone players I ever heard. A magnificent player. And he's behind me. And the three of us are trucking out to that field. I turned to the right. Turned around and headed back to the band room. Now, what made me do it, I don't know. You know, just that feeling of goofing off. What a goof on, what the hell. And I slide my sousaphone back into its cabinet and these big wooden racks in the band room. I put my sousaphone back up there and cut across the hall, out the side door, and five minutes later, I'm sitting in the Red Rooster, knocking down a cheeseburger and a black cow. And sitting with me is one of the guys who played in the baritone section. He is also knocking down a black cow and a cheeseburger. 
And off in the distance, we can hear faintly, oh, so faintly, we can hear the band faintly in the distance, so faintly. You can just hear them, see? Just drifting in, see? They're playing away. And here were two absolute top-flight aces from the band knocking down a cheeseburger with a little piccalilli and a little chili sauce and some French fries and a black cow. And they're knocking themselves out in the hot sunlight. I'm cool on top of it, see? A little realizing I am laying the groundwork for one of the most embarrassing moments I ever lived through. And I don't know whether I ever really did live through it. You know, there are people who say that terrible things that happen to us in our lives never truly leave us. That quite possibly had this not happened to me, I could have gone on to become God knows what. Johnny Carson, Soupy Sales, who knows what great man in this world. And they're out there doing on them all. Listen to them. And I remember looking over across at Pete, this guy that was with me. I said, Pete, it's too hot, the Rarys, right? And Pete says, yeah. And he's chewing away at his cheeseburger, and I'm chewing away at mine. An old Big John, you know, when you go to school, there's always a guy that runs the local lunchroom. Big John is back there, mopping up the counter, dishing out the cheeseburgers to the guys who were goofing off from algebra class. We could hear the band out there working. Great, you know, there's nothing more exciting than the illicit. And they're out there in that hot sunlight whistling, you know. I used to hate that whistling bit. You ever tried to play a sousaphone for three hours in a hot sun, a spanking wind, and then try to whistle? down to cheeseburgers. I said, I think I'll have another one. So I had another one. Just enjoying it. It was kind of cool in there. The air conditioning was going. And five minutes before the end of rehearsal, I got up and sort of sauntered out. And I knew that uh, I would join the crowd and the band as they went trickling back to the band rehearsal hall. And that's what I did. The band came wandering back, all covered with sweat, and I just sort of walked in among them. Now comes the big night. We are standing out in the end zone, ready for the big show. We move on out through El Capitan. Everything's cool and copacetic. We go through the NC4 march. Beautiful. We then knock off... Uh, on the mall, right down the line. Shepard is picking up his heels, moving his knees. Shepard is blowing that sousaphone like he's seldom blown it before. We got down into the far end zone. Got that? We countermarched. We countermarched again. And Stinky Davis was moving us like some vast machine. And now we are moving on out towards about the 30-yard line. And Stinky then motions 
or number 12 in the big book. This was our big thing. We, this, was, this was the hardest number we had, and it was always one of the big high points of our total show, Semper Fidelis. He gives that little motion, see, he put up two fingers like that, meaning number 12 in the book, see. And then he goes, tuck, tuck, and we start playing it. Pow! Shepard rips into that first chorus, saying, oh, I'm moving like a shot. Everything's cool and copacetic. You got that, see, up to this point, right? Shepard's moving. Look at him. Up ahead, he sees Singleton, Cousin Clark. This was two days before Singleton's last day in a band. We didn't know it at the time. And there goes Dunker, moving on out, across, making that beautiful little black turn. And I can see those knees moving all around him. Now, we had a beautiful pinwheel that we did at this point, right at the end of this trumpet. Then we'd go out to a big pinwheel, and we'd spin around, this great pinwheel, and Shepard is spinning out there at the end. Each sousaphone was at the end of one line. Great big, ten tremendous lines moving out. The sousaphones were moving on out. Great big pinwheel. And right in the middle of it all, a Stinky Davis. He's at the hub of this thing, and he's watching us. Then he blows two quick, short blasts, like that. And boom, we come back together again. Now we're coming back. Shepard's moving, on sharp. It's right at the end of this third cadence. Stinky raises his baton and does something he had never done before. He gave two quick blasts of the whistle and a long one. What? So what the hell is this? What the hell's going on? And all of a sudden, all around me, I see marching figures going in all different directions. Crash! A trombone smashes right into me. I spin around. Where the hell am I going? I see three clarinets going this way. I see a suitable player going up and down, off in that direction. I follow him for a minute. He disappears. I see another clarinet going I don't know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, Shepard is marching down the center of the field all by himself. I see the band forming. I try to catch up with them again. I see there goes three French horns around me again. I hear another quick whistle. And once again, Shepard is all by himself. And I see Stinky Davis. His eyes are two glowing coals. Ooh, is he bugged? And then we stop. They, we, we hit the last note of the, the last line of the coda. And I scurry back in the line, and I can see this, the crowd applauding wildly. Fantastic! The crowd is cheering. I must have been 40 feet out of the band. And now I am back in line, and next to me, is Ernie Dunker, who is a superb marching sousaphonist. And Dunker says, you. I can hear him under his breath. We're marching along. We are going down to the center of the field. We're going to make the great big block H now. He says, oh, you. Oh, boy. He says, wait till, wait till Davis busts you, Dad. Oh, and I, I can see Davis was back, and his the back of his neck is beat red. Beat red. They had rehearsed an entirely new formation. And where was I? Knocking down the cheeseburgers in the Red Rooster. Knocking down the cheeseburgers. 
drinking black cows, setting it up for the biggest public humiliation of my life. Have you friends ever marched down the middle of a football field to 25,000 screaming people while the band is playing Semper Fidelis and you are whistling Dixie? You can hardly hide when you're in a sousaphone. And it was obvious. Who loused up? And don't think for a minute that the crowd didn't lap it up. They roared. Well, the rest of the evening went by in some kind of a terrible, bad nightmare. I mean, I'm sitting up in the stands. I don't even see the game. Stinky Davis doesn't say a word. Davis's neck is red all the way up. He's sitting two or three rows down below me. Doesn't say anything. Nothing. The weekend goes by. Monday morning comes out. Hard and cold. That was the day our school newspaper came out. And here was on the front page picture of the marching band playing Semper Fidelis. Right there, covered the whole front page. It says, Sousaphone Ace Makes Boo-Boo. And you saw one sousaphone player way up in the upper left-hand corner heading out somewhere towards Nome, Alaska. The rest of the band was doing this beautiful cloverleaf formation. It says, Ace sousaphone player makes boo-boo. Crowd laps it up. It says, last night at the big game between George Rogers Clark, the sousaphone player seen in picture above made the hit of the season. Oh, God, no. Well, I could hardly wait for the seventh period that day, which was band period. Yeah, I could hardly wait. Seventh period arrives, Shepard drags in, looking sheepish, feeling like uh, last week's mashed potatoes. And Mr. Wilson is up on the stand. The band now sits down, ready for indoor rehearsal. Mr. Wilson starts out by saying, that was the best halftime show we ever did. Whoever thought up that great comedy routine, was he being sarcastic? What was he being? I'll never tell you, friends. All I can say to you is that I learned the lesson. I can't figure out what the lesson is. I mean, yet, I'm uh, running it through the lab. I'm trying a little titration on it. Maybe a little litmus paper. But all I got to say, friends, is when you see that band and those halftime ceremonies marching out and striking into the wind, you are seeing a machine that few people understand. Only those that have been in the middle of one know what it's like. And I say to you, hail and farewell, gang out there. And I can still feel that little, that little tingling around my lips once in a while when I hear a band playing Semper Fidelis, that little chapped feeling of a guy who's rehearsed long and hard on the second coda chorus of every known march that was ever printed. Oh, yeah. Come on. 
pick up them knees, you guys. Come on, move out! Move out! You've been listening to Gene Shepard, humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.